Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr., and today I bring you Jeff Madoff. For years, I struggled to find the clarity of purpose in my life and the single-minded focus that I had when I was an athlete. You know, it just felt like I was working hard but not really getting any closer to where I wanted to go. And to be honest, I really didn't even know or have a clear vision on where I wanted to go. Then I discovered a powerful four-step blueprint that I began to apply to my life, and it changed everything. Now, every morning, I'm excited to attack the day because I have a clarity of purpose, and I have confidence in my plan, and I have peace of mind in knowing that I'm back on that path to elite success. Anyone, and I mean anyone, can use this four-step process to recreate the key elements in the life of an elite performer so you can regain that clarity of purpose and that single-minded focus so that you can both achieve your goals and live a balanced life. I created a a free PDF for you outlining the four-step Reveal Your Path Blueprint for Success just go to jimharshawjr.com slash blueprint. That's jimharshawjr.com slash blueprint to get instant access to that free PDF. Born out of one of the most popular classes at Parsons School of Design, which is, by the way, the number one design school in the United States, Jeff Madoff's book titled Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, teaches you how to use your creativity to build a sustainable, profitable career doing what you love. And he should know, if anybody should, he's lived it. Jeff is the founder of Madoff Productions. He's produced and directed award-winning commercials and documentaries and web content for clients, including Ralph Lauren. As a matter of fact, he talks about Ralph in first person and just his professional relationship with Ralph. But anyway, Ralph Lauren, Victoria's Secret, Tiffany, Radio City Music Hall, and Harvard University. He's also been a featured speaker at the Wharton School of Business at South by Southwest, Google Next, and many others. Uh, Jeff's writing has appeared online in the Wall Street Journal and USA Today, Newsweek, and a lot of other publications. And his book includes advice from people like Damon John from Shark Tank, uh, Tim Ferriss, who I interviewed in episode 246 and 247, Kathy Ireland, Dave Asprey, and many, many others. And like all of my episodes, if you don't have time to listen to this entire episode or if you hear something you like but you don't have a chance to write it down, make sure you grab your free copy of the action plan, just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. If you want to learn how to implement what you're listening to here into your own life, you can sign up for a one-time free clarity call with me. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash apply. Now let's get to my interview with Jeff Madoff. Jeff, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. So let's just start with your background. I gave the listeners a little bit of your background and read your official bio, but why don't you give us a little bit more of the personalized bio? Tell us where you grew up and the 30,000 foot view of how you got from there to here. Well, I was born and raised in Akron, Ohio. At that time, the rubber capital of the world, which accounts for my resilience and bounce. (laughs) And I had a number of jobs when I was a kid. I always found work to do, whether it was shoveling driveways in the winter, mowing lawns in the summer, setting tombstones, door-to-door sales, and all of that kind of Setting tombstones, huh? Yeah. Never had a customer that talked back. (laughs) Of course not. Yes, they. uh, I guess they were satisfied. And actually, there's a very funny story with that, which I'll tell you. (laughs) Whoever got to the office first was supposed to make the coffee, right? And so I got there first. So I opened up. 
And as I pick up the can of Maxwell House coffee to pour into the percolator, Mr. Buzzy, the owner, says, what are you doing? Stop, stop. I said, that's Mr. Johnson. And his wife had dropped off his ashes. Oh, my goodness. In a Maxwell House coffee can and left it on the table. That could have been an even... Better or worse story, depending on how that could have turned out. <laughs> well, I don't know if you remember Maxwell House's slogan, but I always wondered if Mr. Johnson would have been good to the last drop. Oh, man. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That would be a good story. Even better story if that happened. <laughs> or worse story. One or the other, yes. So you set tombstones and keep going. And back then, I was the youngest Fuller Brush man in the United States. Fuller Brush was door-to-door sales, which probably these days people wouldn't even open the door for somebody. But it was actually all of these things that I did informed my later life and my career. Because the thing about door-to-door sales is you've got probably less than 10 seconds to engage somebody Mm -hmm. before they shut the door. And some people don't even give you the 10 seconds. So having the ability to engage people cold was a really amazing training. And just like when I worked at retail at a shoe store when I was in high school, all of these kinds of things where you learn how to talk to people. And it's so important and so informs anything that you'll do in in later life. And like you, but not as good as you, I wrestled in high school and then in college until I realized I was not going to be a professional wrestler and I stopped wrestling. But I did that for years and that informed me too because the thing about wrestling, and I'm curious if you agree with this, is you have to think in series. And just like in business, if you hit resistance, do you exhaust yourself trying to break the resistance or do you pivot quick? Yeah, find a better way. right. Right. That's right. And so I think if our eyes are open, that everything we do informs everything else we do. Mm -hmm. And some of this stuff, by the way, I realize in retrospect and looking back. Yeah, I find that's true with a lot of lessons. Yeah, we don't realize them, the lesson we're learning when we're going through it. But when we look back, that's the importance of, of actually hitting the pause button and looking back is the value and the learning that you gain from it. Right, absolutely. So I went off then from high school, went off to the University of Wisconsin in Madison, where I continued to wrestle until I made that realization I wasn't going to be a professional. And I had a double major in philosophy and psychology. And very happy that I did, although in the practical world that we live in, I did try to get a job as a sage, but it was... The Wiseman factories were not hiring, (laughs) but I'm really happy that I had that liberal arts education because it just gave me a breadth of not only knowledge, but curiosity. And that's one of the things that has stayed with me my whole life is a love of learning and curiosity and loved being in Madison. I started my first company there. And so my first adult career was I started a clothing company and that was as really happened by accident. Dear friend of mine called me up. I was working in this little boutique and he had graduated from college a year before I did. And he said, can you think of a gig that would earn more than bank interest? I've saved up some money. And I said, well, I see what we sell. And by the way, this was a little store, but it was very cool because I would find unique stuff to sell in there. When I come to New York, I was the buyer for it. 
and all the rock bands that came into Madison would come into the store because they heard it had cool, unique stuff. And I said, I see this stuff that we're selling. I could always draw. I'll start a clothing company. I had no idea what I was talking about. I didn't know how to clothes manufactured. I went home and cut apart a shirt to see how it was constructed. I really knew nothing. But my friend sent me what was at the time more money than I had ever had at one point in my life, and that was $1,500. And the company grew very fast. Every four months, three months, we were doubling. And within two years, I had 120 employees, two factories, an office in New York, and a national sales staff. And I was learning how to do business. And it was Again, something that has informed the rest of my life when I made a transition out of the clothing business into making films, doing commercials and that sort of thing. Because I realized that there's all these kind of boundaries between businesses that are very siloed, where in fact, the protocols of most businesses are the same in terms of what you have to do to do well in that business. And the clothing business was a very tough business, very competitive, but also fascinating because you have to go from idea to communicating that idea to others, to costing out what it'll cost to make that idea happen, how much material, how much labor, how long will it take? What can I sell this for? Can I sell it for more than it costs me to make it so I can make a profit, collect the money, and continue to build and be in business? And that's generally the same thing in the film business. You have an idea, you storyboard it, you have to sell it to a client, but before you can sell it, you have to establish the budget. How many people is it going to take to do it? What kind of materials do we need? How much time will it take? Can I deliver it in a timely fashion and get paid enough to make it so I can do it again? And that was really a major breakthrough for me is learning that all businesses are fundamentally the same. You're doing different stuff. But again, those protocols are the same no matter what business or service you're selling. Yeah. So you've had a lot of variety of experiences that have informed your career and you've gone on to tremendous success. And so you've written the book, Creative Careers. I believe that everybody has a dream of making a living with their ideas. Everybody has ideas, whether it's for a business or a different way to do things in their industry or a product. But so few people actually try. Everybody has these ideas, and, but you've written about this in your book. Why do so few people try? I think that so few people try to pursue their dream because they're afraid that it involves risk. Risk brings about doubt. Risk is the unknown. Doubt is not being certain of the outcome of that unknown. And that's enough to stop most people. And I think that that also ties directly into creativity because I think that oftentimes, what be it at home, be it through school, through a certain regimentation, what happens is that you learn to be afraid to fail because that failure can bring you criticism. I don't want to say how thin your skin is, but how ill-prepared you are in terms of how you frame failure that it can really be emotionally crippling. So I think that there's an awful lot of people that fear and that doubt stops them. And I think there's a fundamental question that people need to ask themselves 
if they ask themselves at all, they don't tend to ask themselves till much later in life. And that is, what is success to me? What does that look like to me? Was it acquisition of material goods? Is it having three homes and five cars and whatever? Or is it feeling fulfilled that you enjoy a fulfillment from what you do? Not all the time, because that's not realistic. But most of the time, do you feel good about what you're doing? Why are you even doing it if you don't? But a lot of people, and it's understandable, have to provide for a family. There's a lot of mitigating circumstances. So it's not just about find your bliss. That's not realistic either. How are you going to support yourself? Right. I think a lot of people, when they think about taking that risk and they feel that fear, I think they also look at others who have found the success that they want to have and they believe certain things that maybe it was easier for that person. And there are three myths that you and I have spoken about before we've talked. And I want to share these three myths with the listeners. And I want you to break these down for us because these are myths that are holding us back, myths that create fear, myths that make, that foster self-doubt. And whenever you bust these myths, I think it breaks down the barriers to taking risks in dealing with failure and trying to do something that we want to do. So anyway, the first myth is the myth of the lone genius. Tell us about that, Jeff. So the myth of the lone genius refers to the movies and books about that tortured genius who at some moment has this manifestation of their idea and they did it themselves. Hmm. Nobody does it themselves. So that myth of the lone genius refers to that fairy tale that we are told via Thomas Edison, who had hundreds of people working for him. Mm-hmm. And Steve Jobs, who had thousands of people, so did Edison had thousands. And so really smart no, people who were paid well and well trained, etc. Exactly. So there's this mythology of that that person did it alone and how incredible they were. And I guess the best example I can give of that being shattered was I had lunch with two Nobel laureates. And this is in the book, actually. It really struck me. I said, so what was it like? You got that phone call at five in the morning and you were going to get the Nobel Prize. And then you're there in Stockholm. What was that like? And both of them said, well, I felt like there should be 200 more people standing up here with me because the notion that I did this myself is absurd. Hmm. There's no way I could have done this myself and no way I couldn't have done it with a couple hundred other fantastic scientists who were working so hard and we were all working towards the same goal. And so I think that that does us a great disservice if you buy into that myth because so many people then don't feel they're adequate because somehow they don't have that kind of genius that they can do it alone. Well, nobody does. Yeah. Elon Musk didn't do it alone. Yeah. And I think that that speaks to something else that I know you've talked about and that I know you value, which is relationships. The, The listener might be sitting, I don't have a team of thousands or hundreds even that is supporting me, that is helping me. But I think we all have connections. And when we build relationship and strengthen relationships and make sure we maintain contact with people who could potentially help us, but that's not really the purpose of maintaining relationships. But talk about, before we get to the second and third myth, 
Can you talk about the value of relationships? Is that for the person who's saying, well, I don't have that team of hundreds or thousands behind me helping me. How can little old me do it? Well, first of all, I think that relationships are the most valuable currency in life. And there are those personal friendship relationships. There's people that you can call at three in the morning when bad stuff's going down, but will support you and be there for you. And then there's the business relationships you have, which can be very pleasant, but you shouldn't mistake those for friendships. Mm -hmm. They're based on transactional value. And both sides living up to that promise can build a very nice professional relationship, but it's wrong to mistake that for true friendship because that's not what it's about. It's about, I've got to spend something, I'll spend it on you because you deliver. So I think that neither transactional nor personal relationships, let me start that again, there's great value in both kinds of relationships. In business, we depend more on transactional relationships. And there's nothing to matter with that because we both know we're adults, why we've gotten to know each other. And it's through our business. There's a mutual trust and respect there that has been That's built. Right. It's not just built on just the transaction, but it's the transaction happens because of a mutual trust and a respect. Yes. And it's fulfilling the promise. Yeah of that relationship and of that transaction. So I think it's really important in terms of relationships to also have something of value to offer, not just to take from them. And I've been fortunate enough to have relationship with Ralph Lauren's company for over 30 years. It's because I never take it for granted. And I always deliver on the promise and try to never give them a reason to go somewhere else. Hmm known Ralph a long time. I like him. We have a wonderful professional relationship. I don't confuse it with friendship, but it's a really nice personal, it's a really nice business relationship. And it's because trust has been built up, as you said, over the years. Okay. So we covered the myth of the lone genius and we covered the idea that is it not just one person doing this, but we as one person should build those relationships, create that trust. And that's going to be of tremendous value to us in creating or doing or living that life that we want to live. So let's move on to the second myth, the myth of the lightning bolt. Tell us about that. So the myth of the lightning bolt, it always used to get me that at some point when somebody's in the laboratory or behind their desk or standing at the canvas painting or writing that, boom, they have this idea, this lightning bolt struck and everything takes shape. As if that moment, that's what happened. That moment informed all the work. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't happen either. That's not even how your brain works. So our brain goes through associative patterns. And what happens is that cognitive neuroscience teaches us that you trigger different responses in the brain and there's a network of neural reactions that go on. So when that moment of the alleged lightning bolt of insight happens, it's because previously you've built up these touch points along the way in your brain and formed that constellation so that when the idea happens, it's a bunch of these things that you have been predetermined because you have learned this and that and that about it, and the ideas coalesce. So it's not something that happens all of a sudden. 
it may seem like it, but it's in fact because all the previous ideas and associations that led up to that were already there. Yeah, and so for the listener, think about all the books that you've read or the books that you're reading right now, the relationships that you have. We already talked about relationships, the experiences that you've had, the failures, the attempts, all of that. You may not have that lightning bolt right now, right? You may not have that idea or this coalescence of ideas that has led to whatever it is that you're trying to come up with or do or create, but you're on that path. I mean, trust that you're on that path. And if you're standing still on the path, then you're not moving forward and you're not going to create the life that you want. But if you're moving forward, you're having these experiences, you're reading, you're learning, you're trying, you're attempting, you're building those relationships, then that's when and how great things eventually coalesce. So it's not just this lightning bolt that happens, but it's more of a process. So love that. Love the myth of the lightning bolt. I was just going to say it's you're in sports and it's not like when you're first starting to run, it's not like you can go all out and then there's a progression. It's getting in shape. It's sort of banking the conditioning and being open to that so that when you hit a stride, once you've been working out and you have that breakthrough, you don't have the breakthrough starting from nothing. You have that breakthrough right. from starting from all your previous training, and then you can accelerate. And it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. You work out and work up to it. It doesn't mm -hmm. just happen. Yeah, it doesn't just happen while you're laying in bed one night. You got to work towards <laughs> it. Right. The myth of replication is the third myth. Tell us about that, Jeff. The myth of replication is created a huge industry, particularly in books and coaches and all of that, where if you do what I say, you will be successful. And that's just not true. First of all, you cannot replicate somebody else's process. There are all these things that led up doing whatever it is that they do. There's all these things that led up to you doing whatever you do, and they're never the same. And so the idea beyond best practices that you show up, you're prompt, you're prepared, all of that. But the idea that if you do the same thing, like it's a prescription, here's the seven steps you need to take to be successful. That's just not how it works. And that's not how life works. But there's been lots of really good selling books <laughs> and lots of reinforcement for that myth out there. But it is a myth. You can't do what they did and be successful. Yeah, it's not just a prescription, a one-size-fits-all. I've heard the, the phrase, success leaves clues, and I definitely, like you said, there are best practices. But what sounds like what you're saying is that you're bringing your own experiences and relationships, and I believe the biggest one is like mindset to the process, and mm -hmm. therefore you're going to get different results. That's right. And so I think that myth of replication is simply don't think that you can get a prescription for success and follow those steps and that will happen. Right. So I want to talk more about your book, Creative Careers. On the path to living out that life and living out that career around something that we're creative about, something that we love to do, what is the role that failure plays in creativity? And what is the role that failure plays in creating that career that you want? So a few things. First of all, I think it's really important to define what creativity is. Mm. because creativity tends to have in our culture a very narrow definition. It's somehow only associated with the arts. If you're a painter, if you're a writer, if you're a filmmaker, a dancer, 
whatever. That's their creative careers. And people don't think of other careers as being creative. First of all, I believe if you're an entrepreneur, you're creating a business. You're making something from nothing. So what is creativity? And to me, creativity is the compelling need to bring about change. Mm. And that can be in anything. So I think that it's really important to understand what creativity is. In terms of, we're at an interesting point now with COVID-19, and I look at science. So right now there's about 140 vaccines in various stages of development. And in science, what you have to do is have results that can be replicated again and again and again. And so do they look at all of the things before that that failed? No, it's part of the process. You're not going to achieve those results right off the bat. It's not right. that easy. And that's true in whatever you're doing. That's true if you are a painter. That's true if you have started a new kind of a business. So I think that failure is a part of the process. It is not an end. The only time that failure is truly failure is if it causes you to give up. Mm. Then it's failure. And by the way, this is not to say, oh, it's fun to fail. Yeah. It's not. Please tell us about that because I think there's this message out there that I try not to, to perpetuate that failure is this great thing and it's okay and just be happy when you fail. And no, it sucks. I mean, it sucks. <laughs> it's not something you seek. It hurts. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it costs you a lot of money. But go ahead, tell us more about the line of thinking you're on now. Well, I think that, again, we're brought up and in our culture, we're brought up in a certain way to view activities. And oftentimes it's binary. You're successful or you're a failure. And if you're somewhere in between, nobody cares because it doesn't mean anything, right? I think that understanding what failure is. Failure is a learning opportunity. Yeah. Again, when you're going through it, it's everything you said. But what did you do wrong? If we go back to science for a moment, they start seeing what did and didn't work. What combination of things seem to show promise? What things can we leave behind? And it's the same thing in business. It's the same thing in, I'm writing a play, or I've written a play, it's being produced. So in doing that play, does everybody say yes and here's some money, Jeff? No. All these steps along the way that you get no's and there's obstacles and people tell you, you know, this is not going to work. Well, you're putting an awful lot into this, but it's not going to happen. And you have to, first of all, this gets to salesmanship. You have to sell yourself on yourself first, because you're never going to be successful in selling yourself to others if you don't believe in yourself. And I think being honest about the difficulty, as opposed to trying to paint some kind of a pretty Instagram-like picture of what your life is like, if we all acknowledge this is really hard, kind of easy to start a business, harder to build it, even harder to sustain it. And there's going to be failures along the way. But as long as those don't stop you and you learn from them, you keep moving forward. Yeah. And so I think that it's really important to understand that failure is a part of the process, just like it's part of the scientific process. It's part of business. It's part of a creative pursuit. It's part of it happens in relationships. It's in everything. Yeah. So we'll turn that question around on you, Jeff. Has it been part of your process? Has there been a time where you failed, where you've failed and felt that hopelessness or that self-doubt, but you've had to either figure a way 
through it or deal with it in some way in order to get to where you're at now? No, I've never failed, Jim. Everything Darn, I, I have done I has been so staggeringly successful. First that I found. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's happened a number of times. There are times that things happen that are out of your control. For instance, you know, I live in New York City. 9-11 happened. And 9-11 stopped the business cold. I had several hundred thousand dollars in contracts. I was literally on the 13th of September, supposed to be getting on a plane to go to Greece. Very nice contract, wow. gone. Wow. And everything stopped. I wondered if the phone service had stopped. Yeah. Nothing was going on. Now, a lot of people have been going through that just recently with COVID-19. Sure. So there are those things that happen that we don't have control over that event. But then you have to think about how can I survive? And how can I move forward from this? How can I adapt so I can deal with this? And it's really hard. Mm -hmm. When I had my first company and I had to lay people off, there was a recession that was happening in the early 70s. And all the people that worked for me were considerably older than I was. And I was acutely aware, even though I was like 23, that I'm having to lay off people who have families to support. Wow. That was a horrible feeling, but it taught me certain things. I'm very empathic towards the people that lost their jobs. I did what I could to preserve their jobs. And sometimes nothing you can do. The demands financially make it essential that you do those things. Mm. We all have different pain points. We all have, can decide at different points. But I mean, I even stopped taking pay before I laid people off to try to just keep things going. This is the first time I ever contended with something like that on the large. But I think that as an entrepreneur, assuming that kind of risk in the first place, that which is perseverance, and perseverance is how you push through failure, how you push through the obstacles, going over, under, around, or through them. And so you somehow keep moving forward. And so I've never hit a point where I just stopped, that I hit some pause points and think, oh, what the hell am I going to do? How am I going to deal with this? Absolutely. Then I would talk to my wife. I would talk to my friends. I was not afraid to be vulnerable to the conditions that I was in because that's where those true friendships can support you. And I'm not talking about giving you pep talks. I'm talking about friends. I'm sure you have friends like yourself that are entrepreneurs as I do. Sure. And you compare experiences and you realize, unfortunately, this is a part of it. And you learn from that. And that's again, why those three in the morning friends are so important. Yeah. So for the listeners, you've heard it straight from the horse's mouth. I mean, to get to where Jeff's gotten today. It's been failure. It's been struggle. It's been layoffs. It's been adversity. That's part of the journey. That's part of the process. So wherever you're experiencing that in your life right now, just understand like, okay, this is normal. This is part of it. Jeff, thank you for sharing that. When you reflect back on your career and your life, is there a habit that you do or that you've done that you most credit with your success? Is there something that you've done over the years that you do currently that you really feel has been most responsible for your success? 
So I think that there's a few things that have helped me to be successful. Again, depending on how you define it. One of those things is what I just talked about, which is perseverance, to just stay at it. Do I have the rituals in the morning that I always get up and do this, that, and the other thing? And no, I don't. And I know people do, and people were very successful do. I don't happen to have that. My life tends to be kind of chaotic, which I also kind of like. I function well in chaos. So part of it is that perseverance, and part of it is also having an ability to recognize opportunities. So I may be doing something and can telescope that into a future opportunity, or I may see an opportunity and figure out how can I manifest that. I've got like four different careers going on, if you will. <laughs> and so it's being opportunity focused. It's realizing it takes perseverance, which I learned quite young in order to get there and to do it. And so it's not, I do this and that when I get up in the morning or before I go to bed, I journal. I don't do any of that stuff, but I do have tremendous perseverance. I am good at recognizing opportunity and then seizing on that opportunity. And I guess the reason that I'm an entrepreneur is I'm unemployable. So I better figure out how I can do this stuff on my own. And I think that, that a real key in all of this, and I suspect you share it too, which is unbounded curiosity. Mm. Stay curious about things. So every day I've got questions. Every day I try to think about the opportunities that could be there, especially when you're in a time of struggle like now and figuring out what could solve a problem people have, just like Zoom, really was no big deal until COVID-19. Right. And then it manifests as an amazing opportunity. And then if you were looking to buy a microphone, if you're looking to buy a good camera for streaming, if you're looking to buy one of these switchers so you could have multi-cam streaming, they're all sold out. I don't know if right. you've looked at any of that. Yeah, I have, yeah. There's businesses that are booming. Sure because they realized here's an opportunity amidst all of the difficulty. Here's a real opportunity. Yeah. And so I think that that happens all the time and the success or failure rates of new businesses, at least up to this point, has stayed pretty consistent, whether economic times are good or bad. There's a few that succeed, most fail. And that's true. Whether we're in boom times or barren times. Yeah. So for the listener, who loves what you're talking about, who is all in on the philosophies and understands the myths now that we talked about, what's an action item that you might recommend? Something that someone can do, something concrete that they can do in the next day or two, the next 24 to 48 hours. I think that the most important thing to do is first of all, clearly define what your mission or goal is. And then break that down into steps that you can take in order to achieve that. Because a lot of times when you look at that goal, it seems so far away. It's like distance running, you know, it's like doing a marathon yeah. and it just seems overwhelming and then you give up. But if you look at, so what's the next step I have to do? So for instance, when I finished writing my play and I had to get it out there, I talked to a friend of mine who was an actor and I know that he had produced something. So I talked to him about that. And he said, do you have a general manager yet? I said, I don't know what's a general manager. <laughs> and so I started defining steps I had to take. Yeah. 
in order to accomplish things. And I think that when you are trying to achieve a goal, it's really important to break it down into its incremental parts. Because then that first step isn't something huge, it's something very manageable. And you can approach this thing, this goal or this mission, and take these steps along the way. So I think the breaking down of that, at least the best advice I have, because that makes the journey accomplishable, as opposed to overwhelming. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, this is exactly what I do with my coaching clients is we take that bigger goal. First, we identify what's important to them, identify those goals, and then we break them down. And that's great advice. So breaking those goals down into concrete, actionable things, because otherwise it's just a hope or a wish or a dream. But if you do what Jeff is saying, hit the pause button, sit down, put your fingers on the keyboard or pen to paper and identify what is it that I actually want and then reverse engineer the steps that you have to take to get there. So thank you for that, Jeff. I appreciate you making time to come on the show. How can the listeners find you, follow you? Where can they buy your book, Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas? Well, first of all, this has been great. I just saw how much time has passed and it seemed like a blank. Time flies, doesn't it? It, it I know. does. This is great. I feel like we could talk for hours. I think we've already demonstrated that in our previous conversation. I do Absolutely. Agree. <laughs> so, the book, Creative Careers Making a Living with Your Ideas, is available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and where all fine books are sold. And I hope that if you do buy it, please post a review because that helps. You can find me on LinkedIn. And I started a group recently called hashtag creative careers. And I'm hoping to set up this really robust hub for the exchange of creative ideas, which are fun and people talking to each other and creating a dialogue around that, which would be very cool. Yeah. Like-minded people. That's great. Yeah. Well, you don't even have to be like-minded. You just have to be curious. Yeah. That's what it is. And so people can share their obstacles they're dealing with, share their successes, or just philosophical, like what is creativity and things like that. There's a website we just launched, which is acreativecareer.com. And there's an Instagram site, which is at acreativecareer. And all of those have videos from my class where you'll hear great advice and suggestions from the vast range of guests that I've had. Yeah, some Uh, incredible folks. Yeah, some really great people. I think what makes the book special is taking the best ideas that, by the way, don't always line up, which is part of why they're so good, because there's no one path to anything. Right. You can sort of tell what resonates with you and whose approach resonates with you. And there's actually, at the end of each chapter, kind of workbook questions, because I want to hit people when they're fresh and they've just finished something, like what resonated with you? What did they do that you think you would like to do? How did they approach this and that sort of thing? Where I think it'll anchor the reader in terms of their activities. It's part of that breaking down process you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Excellent. For the listener, of course, as always, I will have all the links and everything that Jeff shared here, including discussion points, the three myths, etc. In the action plan, just go to Jim Harshaw Jr., dot com slash action and you can grab the pdf with all the links etc so jeff thank you so much for making time to come on the show thank you this was great i really appreciate it likewise and for the listener as always until next time take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success 